0: This is Truth With Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. Pastor Pierosa is continuing his preaching through the Gospel of Matthew today. We're in chapter 15. Everyone wants to look good and sound good to those around them. There's nothing particularly wrong with that, but where things go terribly wrong, when we forget the interior life, the spiritual core of our being is what God is most concerned with. God has a clear diagnosis for the problems that plague humanity and he also has a clear solution that's quite different from ours. But as we'll hear today, we typically focus on the outward appearance and ignore what really matters, heart transformation. That needs to change. My name is Brian Schmidt, and I'll have more information for you at the end of this program. But for now, let's listen to today's message from Pastor Pierre.
1: Let's read Matthew 15, verses 10 through 20. After Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth. This defiles the man. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? And he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. Jesus said, Are you still lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. And church, that is Jesus' diagnosis on the real human predicament. He explains our greatest need. And our greatest need, therefore, cannot be physical or even emotional because Jesus is talking about a spiritual manner here. The problem for the human race is that we have a heart that is prone to defilement. And therefore, he explains the reason for that and the prescription. So concerning our greatest spiritual need, we have a diagnosis, a declaration, and a doctrine in order for us to understand the real human problem and therefore how to take care of it. So first of all, verses 10 through 11, we have the accurate diagnosis. After a tense argument or exchange with some religious leaders in verses 1 through 9, he explains that impure hearts, not unwashed hands, separate people from God. You understand that? The Pharisees, the delegation of Pharisees came to him saying, an outward expression of religiosity is what defiles a man. And Jesus says, no, unwashed hands do not defile a man, but an impure heart. Therefore, our heart needs to be cleaned or purified by God. It's very simple. It's not hard to understand. It may be hard to accept because it, we, when we accept the words of Jesus Christ, it means we are agreeing with him and aligning our hearts with what he says, and therefore we are humbling ourselves. But according to a popular but unbiblical rule, which Matthew describes as the tradition of the elders, according to verse 1 of chapter 15, and later recorded in a document called Mishnah, eating with 30 hands placed the Jews in a state of religious defilement because they would come in contact with the Gentiles. And that's a no-no for a Jew at the time. You don't even come in close contact with the Gentiles. That is one of the reasons they hated Jesus so much, because he not only came in contact with Gentiles, he saved them he healed them. So the scribes and Pharisees claim, therefore, that observance of their corruption of biblical texts would remedy the situation of having a heart that is defiled before God. Jesus challenges that by applying Isaiah 29 verse 13 when he says this, rightly did Isaiah prophesy about you. And then he went and quoted that passage says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Jesus is saying this Pharisaic system promoted a non-genuine counterfeit devotion, something for which God has no regard. He's not interested in that kind of stuff, in that kind of fake religiosity, counterfeit devotion to him. And now he elaborates here and invites people to receive his infinite wisdom. How do we know that? Because he says, hear and understand. Pay close attention. In church, we are exceedingly blessed to hear from the one who is the truth. So when the very one that is the embodiment of truth, because he says, I am the truth. So truth is not a concept. It's a person. His name is Christ. And when he says, hear and understand, you want to listen to him. Jesus is saying, what we allow to enter our body may cause physical harm. Okay. That's a fact. For example, alcohol, tobacco. Substances and abuse of prescribed medication, even food, certain kinds of foods and excessive amounts of food may cause physical harm. But these things cannot determine someone's spiritual cleanliness. Do you understand that? Nothing that enters into the body, according to Jesus Christ, can determine your spiritual cleanliness. And therefore, the problem is not solved By eliminating foods or other things. Now, of course, there's some healthy habits we want to cultivate. You don't want to get drunk. That's a sin, the Bible says. You want to be very careful with what you allow to enter your body. But these things cannot determine someone's spiritual cleanliness. And Mark broadens that principle. According to him, Jesus says this in Mark 7, verse 15. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. You understand that? So Mark goes broader. It's not just food. He says, anything that is outside the man cannot defile him. Now, those outside items may interrupt your fellowship with God. Let me give you an example. If you consume them, alcohol, tobacco, and all of these things to to self-medicate, then that's a problem. Or if you consume them to cope with anxiety or loneliness instead of finding your delight, your comfort, your peace, your affirmation, and your validation and joy in Christ, then that's a problem. And you may even get in trouble with the law if you mishandle these things. And you even may hurt your testimony. But listen carefully. No outside agency places you in a broken relationship with God in itself. Because heart defilement is a spiritual problem, not physical. So according to Jesus' diagnosis, words reveal the condition of the soul. That's what he's saying. He said, a heart that is defiled will reveal itself by the words that come out of your mouth. James confirms He writes in James 3 verse 6, The tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body. You see that? The tongue defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of your life. And is set on fire by hell. In other words, your words will reveal what's in the heart. But Mark's parallel account also, again, he broadens the whole concept here and reveals that anything that proceeds out of man can defile him. So not just words, but anything that proceeds out of you can defile you, including deeds. So your words and your deeds may reveal a polluted heart. By the way, that's what that word means, defiled, means religiously polluted, sinful. So your words and your deeds, church, will reveal what's in your heart. So let's use, now that we know that, let's use Jesus' diagnosis of the human heart to take inventory of our life. If your vocabulary, if most of your words are put-downs, condescending remarks, dirty jokes, and negative descriptions of people and or situations, such as, and here are some examples, my terrible marriage, my lousy husband, my corrupt boss, my miserable life, then probably you need heart surgery from God to remove resentment and bitterness because your words are revealing what's inside your heart. And you may be filled with resentment and bitterness, which will cause irreparable damage if left unaddressed. I want you to understand that. On the other hand, if you refer to people, life, and circumstances by positive modifiers or neutral modifiers, for example, as my maturing marriage, my growing walk with the Lord, then you are demonstrating a healthy heart filled with the peace that transcends all understanding, according to Philippians 4, verse 6. So that's the accurate diagnosis according to Jesus Christ. And he never misdiagnoses anything. But number two, I want to show you the astonishing declaration. We, we saw the accurate diagnosis. Here is the astonishing declaration, verses 12 through 14. Matthew records the reactions of the disciples here. And I hope you picked up on their tone of frustration and fear when they report to Jesus Christ, um, Master, I think we have a problem here. That's not very popular, what you just said. Uh, that's going to get us in trouble, don't you know? And that's exactly how they manifest their concern, proving the point that Jesus is making in the previous two verses that what comes out of the mouth reveals what's in the heart. Therefore, their heart is filled with fear, filled with concern, And then maybe a little bit of bitterness against Jesus Christ because Jesus is not leading them to the disciples of the year award. They started to question him. And I want you to see the silliness of what comes out of their mouth. When you start a question to Jesus Christ with the following words, did you know you're already in trouble? When you start a sentence to Jesus Christ, are you aware? Because that's what they're saying here. That sentence could have been translated, are you aware? They're asking Jesus Christ if he knows something. And that is completely inconsistent with what they said in chapter 14. Let's read that one again. Chapter 14, verse 33. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. So, perhaps a few days before, they confessed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And here they are asking me, Well, do you know this, Jesus? That's inconsistent. That doesn't make any sense. If they concluded that Jesus Christ is God, the Son... How can they even suspect that Jesus didn't know something? Why would they question his omniscience? The answer? Their heart was filled with the fear of men. They were fearful of what men would do to them. And that's a problem because the Bible says very clearly, we have to fear God, not man. And fear means having a reverence for God. And that doesn't mean we're terrified of God. It doesn't mean we don't have access to Him. We all know that. So likewise, church, we have a similar inconsistent lack of faith from time to time when we imply that Christ may not know what He is doing. We may not have articulated this the same way here that the disciples did, but we do this all the time. We start our prayers to Christ saying, Lord, did you not know? Or Jesus, do you not know that I'm in trouble? are you not aware of my situation? (laughs) And we imply that Jesus doesn't know what he's doing. Or we know that he wants us to share our faith, but when we say, Jesus, did you not know that I'm going to be rejected if I share my faith? Perhaps opposed, perhaps persecuted. Are you even aware that I'm going to sound unloving if I tell others that their religion is no more than the tradition of men? And of course he knows, church. He warned us about the persecution and opposition that certainly will follow faithful believers of Jesus Christ. That's on purpose. That's by divine design. So we shouldn't ask Jesus, did you know or are you aware? So let's identify two features of the truth in this short dialogue between Jesus and his fearful disciples. Remember, they're saying, Lord, did you not know? Are you not aware that they're going to be offended by that? And Jesus knows, and here we have, church, in verses 12 and, and then 13 and 14, the two features of truth from this passage. The first one is truth scandalizes, in verse 12. What they're asking Jesus is really, Jesus, did you not know that they're going to be scandalized by what you're saying? Because they wanted to avoid controversy and conflict. They use the verb scandalizo, from which we get the word scandal in English, to describe the reactions of the Pharisees. And I want you to know that that word, scandalese, or that verb, evokes two images, okay? When that word was pronounced in the Greek language, it evoked two images from the person who was listening to them. The first one is a stumbling block. Someone who places a stone, really, in somebody's path in order to cause them to stumble. That's the first image. And the second image is a trap meant to cause people to stop what they're doing. So, These pictures illustrate perfectly what Jesus does in this scene. He places the truth in front of the counterfeit religious folks in order to stop their hypocritical walk. That's the point. That's exactly the point. He wants to scandalize them, to cause them to see the foolishness of their way, to trap them in their words in order for them to see and repent and come to true, genuine salvation. In church, that hasn't changed. Truth makes people fall so that the outward religiosity that they hold on to so dearly will shatter. That's the point of truth. Truth is meant to cause people to stumble so that they can fall and break everything they're holding on to that is not truthful. Also like a trap, truth is meant to catch people in their false religion so that they can see their need for liberation. And the Bible is clear in John 8 verse 32, the truth will make you free. So God, church, likewise expects us to place biblical truth in people's path so that we can scandalize them with the truth. Not with our obnoxiousness, not with our bad testimony, but with the truth. And we do that by telling sinners that they have a heart problem, not a political one. See, that's why every conversation that starts political needs to go back to a spiritual Sure, you can have a casual conversation about politics, but if you're really interested in doing what God wants us to do, you turn that conversation into the spiritual matters and say, you know what? I'm looking forward to the millennium when Jesus Christ is going to reign here. Uh, No elections, just appointees by the king of kings. Let me tell you about the second aspect of truth here, the second feature. The truth scandalizes, verse 2, verses 13 through 14. The truth separates. Truth is not inclusive. Truth excludes. It excludes right doctrine from false doctrine. Now, in response to the concerns of the disciples, Christ reminded them of the parable of the tares among wheat when he talked about, well, the plants that my father did not plant will be uprooted. Jesus gave that explanation in chapter 13, verses 37 through 39, when he says, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man, in the field is the world, and as far as the good seed, those are the sons of the kingdom. And the tares are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is at the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So just to refresh your memory about that parable here. And what Jesus is saying, really, Jesus offends them even more. So the, the disciples say, Jesus, I think we're offending them. And Jesus says, oh yeah, listen to this. That delegation of Pharisees and scribes were satanic implants. Jesus is telling them they're satanic. Yeah, they need to be offended because they're not even the real deal. The proverbial bat tree known by its fruit, according to Matthew 12, verse 33, they were false believers, counterfeit religious folks. And this is how Jesus assessed the spirituality of that entire group. Listen to Matthew 12, verses 34 through 37. You brood of vipers, are are you offended enough? You brood of vipers, you offspring of Satan is what he's saying here referring to the Pharisees, the people that the disciples were concerned would be offended. And by the way, they were so offended that they sought to kill Jesus Christ. But this is how Jesus deals with them. You brood of vipers, you are the offspring of Satan. How can you, being evil, speak what is good? In other words, you can't even speak what is good because your heart is evil. For the mouth speaks out of which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in a day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. We need to be very careful with what we let out of our mouth. Because according to Jesus Christ here, every careless word that we speak, we'll have to give an account for. If they are unforgiven, they're not unforgivable. But if you don't repent from them, you have to give an account. So be very careful on how you address somebody. Be very careful how you describe someone, and how you describe a situation. Be very careful what kind of names you call someone, whether it's in social media or spoken word or in writing, because God's going to hold you accountable for each one of those words. But in the case of the Pharisees here, he will uproot them at the appropriate time, because truth separates tares from wheat according to Jesus Christ. And likewise, truth separates genuine from false believers. So it doesn't matter what a Christian looks like, how he dresses, or even if he speaks Christianese or not. Those are not what identify a true believer in Christ. There are counterfeit believers. There will be counterfeit believers until the day of the rapture, and those will be left behind. Now, if that supposed Christian person does not affirm what Jesus affirms, namely that man's real problem is a defiled heart instead of dirty hands, and therefore the only solution is salvation in Jesus alone, that person is a fake tree, is a fake implant. Alarmingly, Counterfeit believers hold positions of leadership in churches. And they will lead the blind to eternal condemnation. That is the reason why Jesus Christ uses the picture of a pit. That is eternal condemnation. Now, the Pharisees used to call themselves the spiritual guides to the blind. That's how that's an expression that they used in order to identify themselves. I'm so and so, I'm a spiritual guide to the blind. And Jesus Christ offends them even more by saying, let them alone. Don't even worry about them. You focus on what you need to focus. They are spiritually blind guides leading the blind. They're both going to fall into a pit, meaning into eternal condemnation. Now, he's informing his followers here, the concerned disciples, that the scribes and Pharisees could not make an accurate assessment of spiritual matters because they could not distinguish truth from falsehood. Simple as that. They, said, they can't tell you what's true because they don't know truth. They're They're blind. So Jesus instructs the disciples, don't appease them. I'm not embarrassed by the truth, Jesus says. and his disciples' church, it shouldn't be either. If you're a disciple of Christ, you should not be embarrassed by the truth that offends. See, we do not have permission to remove or dilute the offensive elements of the gospel. Paul says, we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. Church, we preach a message that is foreign to the human defiled heart. It needs to happen by divine intervention that someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Because the message that we preach, you kidding me? A crucified God? And like the apostle, church, we are not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. So... Don't make the gospel acceptable, make it available. The predicament of the unconverted should cause us more concern than the sensibility of religious people. That's what this passage is teaching us here. The predicament of the unconverted should cause us more concern than the sensibility of religious people, or even our popularity, or even our safety. So after the accurate diagnosis and the astonishing declaration, I want you to see finally... The absolute doctrine, something that cannot be changed, even though people try all the time. Every other system of religion in the world, they will say that humans are good by nature. Or if they're not, they can work and to be good enough to be acceptable to God. That is a heresy. That is a lie. And that's the absolute doctrine because Jesus confirms it. Describing the same scene, I want you to see that Mark clarifies what happens. Peter asks for clarification of this mini parable. He says, Jesus, explain this to us, please. Which, by the way, is a good thing to do. Always ask clarification from Christ, and it's already here. The truth is available for us. So he's asking for Jesus to explain to them verse 11. Clearly, here, his request frustrated Jesus, but did not surprise him. Because he says, you still do not understand. Peter, Peter, Peter. You just walked on water. And you don't understand spiritual matters. I mean, you just concluded that I am the Son of God. And you still don't understand all of these things? Again, he's not surprised. He's just expressing divine frustration here because by this time, they should have known the true source of heart defilement. Again, an absolute, unchangeable, non-negotiable doctrine, which Paul stated very clearly in Romans 3, verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, the heart is the problem, the spiritual heart. And in verses 17 through 19, Jesus borrows from physiology to illustrate his point food sustains the body temporarily, and the human digestive system eliminates whatever does not serve any nutritional purposes after you eat them. But people should have a greater concern with the spiritual health of their hearts. See? So Jesus itemizes here in the last portion of this passage seven vices that really defile the heart, really pollute the heart. And he therefore defines genuine devotion once again and clarifies the deficiency of an outward man-made religious ritual because it leaves the heart untouched. What we need is heart transformation, not behavior modification. Again, because behavior modification is going to follow when the heart is converted God expects genuine devotion from us, church, and it all starts with understanding humankind's greatest needs. And here we have, in this scene, Jesus presenting to us a diagnosis, a declaration, and a doctrine. So here's how we conclude this whole thing. Confronted with this hard, offensive truth, but hopeful reality, we have two choices. A, we ignore the Bible. And we dismiss the Bible as myth, like many people do, to really numb their conscience, to keep their guilty conscience away. They say, well, the Bible is written by man, or all of the other things that we we listen to. By the way, that's such an easy thing to counter. When people say, I don't believe the Bible because the Bible was written by men," Well, do you believe your math book? Two plus two equals four. That's an inerrant book. Well, what the Bible is, is yeah, it was written by men, but the Bible says there is a divine author that inspired those men to write the Bible. So we can dismiss the Bible as myth or or not applicable, not relevant enough. Or B, we can embrace His diagnosis for our heart and therefore the prescription for what they are. True, absolute, unchanging, and life-giving. Option A will lead you down to the path of sick, hypocritical spirituality which ends in a pit, really, chapter 14. Or option B will lead you towards genuine devotion to God, which results in enduring joy. Even though the process of transformation is painful in the beginning, the end result is true and enduring joy. So let me close with this verse here, Proverbs 4, verse 23. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. So church, watch over your heart. Spiritually speaking, watch over your heart, for from it flow the springs of life. Again, how do you feed your heart? How do you nurture your heart? I'm not talking about the blood pumping organism. Your medical doctor will give you the prescription for that. I'm talking about spiritually speaking. Is your heart healthy? If you have a healthy heart, you'll recognize that you are a sinner that you need God's intervention in your life. And you will recognize that what comes out of your mouth reveals what's in your heart. You will diagnose it and you will ask God to transform it. And watch what he'll do to us as a church and as a family of believers when we all collectively watch over our hearts.
0: If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org or you can visit our website truthwithgrace.org for more information about our church and this media ministry. Plus, we're always looking for people just like you to help us spread the gospel around the world. This broadcast is provided to you at no cost to the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of Truth With Grace. Please feel free to share it, but please don't charge money for it or edit it in any way without the written consent of Grace Baptist Church. Until next time, this is Truth With grace.